are listening to The Addiction Files, where we discuss evidence-based treatment, clinical pearls and resources, while striving to destigmatize the treatment of addiction in our medical culture and save lives. We are The Addiction Doctors, Dr. Darlene Peterson and Paula Cook. Welcome to this episode of The Addiction Files. We are talking tonight about xylazine, trank dope. So, This is an emerging epidemic, and it is just moving across the nation. Paula is going to give us an introduction, and then we are going to get started on this. All right. So you may have been hearing about xylazine in the news or uh, just on your feed. There was a very interesting article in New York Times recently about xylazine. What is it? Well, xylazine is a non-opioid. FDA-approved veterinary tranquilizer, anesthetic, and sedative, not approved for human use, so only approved for veterinary use. And it's linked mostly to illicit fentanyl use. It is used with other drugs, but mostly it's an adulterant that is added in to other drugs. So it's added into other drugs for some reasons that it could include It's cheaper, so it's just added to bulk up the drugs, but most likely because it lengthens the euphoric effects of opioids and other substances. So especially fentanyl and maybe heroin, but mostly fentanyl is so short acting. Uh, Xylazine is longer acting and prolongs that euphoric effect. So according to the American College of Emergency Physicians, xylazine has been used for multiple purposes, um, including attempted sexual assault, independent drug abuse, and then obviously an adulterant into these illicit substances such as fentanyl, heroin, cocaine, um, illicit benzodiazepines, and more. So you might hear about it being called trank or trank dope or sleep cut. And how do people use it? Well, it's a powder or a liquid. And so it can be used either by smoking or snorting or eating or inhaling or injecting much like fentanyl or heroin or some of these other substances that it's mixed in with. So that's an introduction to xylazine or trank as we as we know it's being called. Thank you, Paula. So a little, you know, the history, this was something that really we didn't start hearing about it till about maybe 2019. You started hearing about overdose deaths in the Northeast, Connecticut and Pennsylvania. It was first reported back in 2001 in Puerto Rico. And I'm just referencing, there's a really good article on this, I just want to give credit. This is back in, published back in 2012. This was the emerging of xylazine as a new drug of abuse and its health consequences among drug users in Puerto Rico. And this is from Reyes et al. I think this one, what was really interesting about it, and I encourage you to just look it up. This was going and just talking to users themselves and they were doing just kind of focus groups. So what what we kind of call ethnograph like studies, but the interesting part is you really got the flavor of how people are using it 
and where it kind of came from. So what Paula just alluded to just kind of in the intro, the history of it, it really sounded more like initially when we first had these reports, it was mostly just as an adulterant in the supply. So it was just cut primarily with just fentanyl. And then you would see some with heroin. So primarily you would see that. And people weren't intentionally seeking it out. So that was where it was. And so, but then some people kind of got that like taste for it. And that's what they found in these like focus groups that they would specifically then start seeking it out. Some didn't necessarily like the effects of it. And then they would kind of describe that you could tell by either the, the, taste or the look of their drugs if it had it it contaminated with xylazine or by their user they knew that certain people would cut with xylazine and so then they would tend to avoid certain dealers so that was a little bit of some interesting history with that it but we saw a sharp increase so initially there was maybe only 2% of overdoses that were associated with xylazine involvement. And then between 20, 2010 to 2015, you started to see this rapid increase in amount. Now, again, I think that's a little bit related to when did we start testing, really testing, uh, you know, yeah, if you're not testing for it, if you're not looking for it, we don't know. So I don't know how much this was really on the radar, but then we started to see that increase. And so we then you saw that. But really, this has just been started in the Northeast, saw some huge pockets. So you would see some increase in areas like particularly Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. But those areas were noted also to have like these neighborhoods in Philadelphia had high like um, Puerto Rican in, immigrants. So those also were associated with higher association of overdose deaths with xylazine, which was a really interesting um, phenomenon that was happening. And that all, and that has just been moving west. So for us over here on the West Coast, we are really just maybe now starting to hear about it. So I, a lot of our East Coast partners are just kind of like, yeah, you guys, like, again, we're behind the times where there's some things that we've been dealing with for years that are maybe just starting to spread out. <laughs> but, you know, so that's just a little bit about the history. And then Paula's going to take us into a little bit more depth about the epidemiology. Well, yeah, I think you kind of covered it a bit there, Darlene, in terms of um, the most recent increase. And of course, because we are not testing for it, we have likely huge underreporting of the use of xylazine um, in terms of its national prevalence. However, like you said, it's uh, definitely had its largest impact in the Northeast. And um, according to a journal um, Drug and Alcohol Dependence, published in April of 2022, they showed that, you know, Philadelphia had xylazine prevalence um, detected in 25.8% of all overdose deaths. And in Maryland, 19.3% of all overdose deaths had xylazine in involvement. So that's 
that's a lot of, of deaths, right? Which drugs are, um, which drugs have xylazine associated with them? Most commonly, it's fentanyl. So illicitly manufactured fentanyl were present in 98.4% of xylazine um, deaths, as well as cocaine, 45%, followed by benzodiazepines, 28.4%, and then heroin, 23.3% of deaths. Interestingly, alcohol-related overdose deaths, 19.7%. Um, of the xylosine-related overdose deaths were alcohol. So, you know, clearly people who are using this drug, either knowingly or unknowingly, mostly fall into the fentanyl category, which is what we're hearing in the news. But don't not think about it when you have someone who's using cocaine and presents not responsive to typical overdose or intoxication uh, measures when they come into your emergency department or when you're seeing them um, for complications related to substance use. And we're going to talk about some of those, especially regarding the soft tissue infections that xylazine causes or the naloxone resistance. So those are some of the things that we're seeing. I think, unfortunately, like most things, uh, it's like influenza. It starts east and moves west. We're seeing that too with xylazine. And one of the studies that we were reading, in fact, I think it's that ethnological study you were just referring to, Darlene, suggested that they weren't seeing any xylazine reported in cities like Denver. And I don't think that's true anymore. In fact, I have a child who lives in Denver and she works in the nonprofit arena. And she just called me the other day and said, we're seeing xylazine or we're hearing it. You know, our our clients are telling us they're using it. Uh, what do we do about it? So it's clearly moving this direction. And I know I personally have had a couple of patients report to me that they think they have been exposed to xylazine uh, here where I practice in Utah. And what they describe is an unusual kind of nodding out a prolonged form of intoxication when they use their opioid that's not expected so they were out for you know an hour or 45 minutes when they thought they would have had a euphoric effect from their opioid for a few minutes um so it's here and it's it's moving and we need to be prepared to deal with it so tell us a little bit more about it as a substance as a chemical darlene how does it work what's its mechanism of action yeah, so it's that this is being used like as an adulterant, but it makes sense, right? That they would start to combine it and the way you describe and how patients are describing its effect. It's an alpha adrenergic agonist and it's similar to dexamethadine and clonidine. And it's yeah. acting in the locus cerulis and it's inhibiting the neurotransmitter release of both dopamine and norepinephrine. And this is a central nervous system depressant, but this it provides analgesia for about 15 to 30 minutes and you get sedation for one to four hours in animals. But that's where you get that prolonged kind of sedation effect and you get that potentiating effect of the opiate, which is why you have some seeking it out intentionally to combine with their fentanyl. And in that study, which was really interesting, a lot of users did not like it when they got it by itself because they say they would just use and then they'd just be out and would wake up four hours later and they never got that quite 
euphoric effect if they also had fentanyl with it. So if they 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 don't like it by itself, but they do like that potentiating effect and it's, you know, where they kind of get their high and then they kind of just can just be kind of sedated and have that last a little bit longer. So that was that's where they're seeking it out. So this is the most dangerous part and that's why you were seeing this increasing rates of overdose and the combination because the variability and effects so there's no quote unquote safe dose from the American College of Emergency Physicians xylazine and emerging adulterant the the dose of xylazine required to produce toxicity in humans is between 40 and 2,400 milligrams. Serum concentrations of xylazine in fatal overdose cases were seen from just trace amounts to 16 milligrams per liter. So that's a significant overlap between fatal and non-fatal doses. So there are patients who are purposely seeking this out. Okay, so let's talk about what happens when people actually take uh, xylazine or are exposed to xylazine. They have physical effects that you would expect from an anesthetic slash sedative tranquilizer like dexmedetomidine. They get blurred vision, disorientation, sedation drowsiness, slurred speech, impaired judgment. They can become hypotensive, which makes sense, right? It's an alpha adrenergic um, agonist. They can become comatose because it's an anesthetic, bradycardic, have respiratory depression. They will present with pinpoint pupils. Um, so if you take those last couple of um, signs or of of the intoxication syndrome, so hypotens hypotensive, comatose, Cardiac respiratory depression and pinpoint pupils. I mean, what does that look like? That looks exactly like opioid intoxication or opioid overdose. So it can be very confusing. It can not only contribute to the clinical uh, picture of opioid overdose, but it can mimic it. So this is why it can be very confusing for emergency uh, staff in the field or in the hospital to treat this intoxication syndrome with naloxone and not get a response or to only get a partial response when they're able to reverse the opioid overdose but not the xylazine overdose. Other things, other um, physical effects of xylazine intoxication are hyperglycemia, which is interesting. So you're going to see high blood sugar. And then on the long term, you're going to see significant skin ulcerations and abscesses. And there's been a lot said about this. So you get abscesses at both of the sites um, of the injection, and you get other diffuse abscesses, not necessarily at the site of in, of the injection, and you get extensive ulceration um, along the whole, basically the venous track where people have been injected. Really interesting, and we re we researched this a little bit because there's not been a lot of information of why and where this is coming from. We know. And immediately when we read about this, we kind of go back to levamisil and we think, is this related to that? What's the mechanism of action? Like what's going on there? But there was just an, this was just an interesting article written by um, Warren Heyman. And this just was published on December 7th of 2022. 
titled Xylazine, Xylazine, the Potential for Loss of Life and Limb. And it talked about just what you said, you know, it's associated with the skin ulcers and abscesses, and you can have them at the injection site. And what's particularly interesting about this is because of its anesthetic property, users will will continue to inject at already previously ulcerated sites to alleviate the pain. So you can get some very devastating ulcers. Yeah. (laughs) So you'll get some just really terrible, terrible. When we're talking about skin ulcers, these are really terrible ulcers. So there's, there's some really interesting things. So there's that part. But then you get it over some not at injection sites. And that is presumed, the presumed mechanism is, again, from the direct vasoconstricting effect on the local blood vessels. But again, we go back to the mechanism of action and you have that alpha adrenergic effect and the hypotension. So this is the systemic effect where you have just, again, that, you know, profound, just kind of autonomic instability and decreased blood flow. So you get poor wound healing and leads to lower tissue cutaneous oxygenation. And so all of that, the hypotension, bradycardia, and all of those like systemic effects leads to those distal wounds and things. So I really found that mechanism really interesting, but just overwhelmingly devastating when you think about these in, these patients already who suffer. I would just be really interesting to discuss this with our infectious disease friends who, you know, provide addiction medicine. I mean, who must see much more of this and what their thoughts are and what they would think about this mechanism of action. But I found that article really interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating. And you should, um, our listeners should read the New York Times article that was published on January 7th, 2023, by written by Jan Hoffman on um, xylazine. The title of the article is Trank Dope, Animal Sedative Mixed with Fentanyl Brings Flesh Fresh horror to U.S. drug zones. I guess it could be flesh horror. <laughs> That's a, That was a Freudian slip. Fresh horror to U.S. drug zones. It's a really interesting, of course, written by the New York Times, well-written article. And in the article, they talk about a syringe exchange program seeing a 313% rise in visits at their wound care clinic over the past three years, which they attribute largely to the use of um, xylazine in their neighborhood. So, and most of the pictures in this um, piece, as well as like the the personal stories are pretty shocking. And I I agree with you, it'd be interesting to talk to our infectious um, disease colleagues about this it's pretty it's pretty devastating so yeah so aggressive wound care obviously stopping you know what can we do we want to encourage people to stop using we need test strips right i mean what we need is i'm jumping ahead here but we need to have a way for people to identify that they are getting a, a contaminated supply or if they are seeking it knowingly, we need to educate them that this could have devastating effects on their skin. So, well, you bring up an important yeah. point that so not having the not having 
not having the ability for a rapid test. One is providers we don't know that our patients are using. And two, patients don't know what they're getting. So it's a huge problem that this is really only available by gas chromatography mass spec right now. And so typically you already have a patient who's already been exposed and you may be treating them and you're really just having to go off of um, history and what's in your area. So it's a, it's a big challenge. It's a big challenge right now. And so that is something that we're looking for. So overdose response, and then we'll get in more into management and treatment right now. There's no like FDA approved human reversal agent. So there's tolazine that is used in veterinary medicine. And again, this is not used in humans, so that's not available, but that's the only antagonist. And it, but it is recommended, especially if you have a mixed use picture that give Narcan anyway, because this is often combined with opiates. So you're going to give, you're going to go ahead and give them naloxone and treat them. And treatment is primarily in the acute setting with a suspected overdose is supportive. So you're going to innovate and you're going to give them mechanical ventilations. And then there is one study that Paula is going to go into about what about if you have dependency. So if you have a dependency syndrome and you have someone withdrawing, I thought that was really interesting. So do you want to talk about that? Yeah, well, this is a case report. So it's just a single, um, not not yeah. just, it's a valuable yeah, sorry. Case, report, yeah. <laughs> case report um on management of xylazine withdrawal. So a patient, this is um, published by Ehrman, Dupre, and Kay and all in uh, September 2022 in the Journal of Addiction Medicine. Fascinating case report of a patient who was admitted to a hospital with withdrawal syndrome, which appeared to be from opioids. It was a 29-year-old female with opioid use disorder and chronic xylazine use. And she was admitted to the intensive care unit for treatment of chronic lower extremity extremity wounds thought to be due to xylazine injection. And so they managed her opioid withdrawal symptoms with buprenorphine. Actually, she was transitioned from full agonist opioids in the in the unit for pain to buprenorphine by a buprenorphine microinduction, which we actually have an episode on a few seasons ago, if you're interested in how to do that. But she was managed for her xylazine withdrawal syndrome um, with a combination of dexmedetomidine infusion, phenobarbital, and tizanidine, and then transition to clonidine. So just talking about that, if you have a patient who has been using xylazine regularly, they are likely to manifest a withdrawal syndrome just because it is an alpha-adrenergic agonist. So much like we expect people to have rebound hypertension and autonomic instability if yes. they stop taking high-dose clonidine suddenly, or if you were to withdraw someone from Presidex without tapering, they're going to have rebound autonomic instability. You will see this with xylazine. So obviously this patient was managed in the unit and they were able to give her dexmedetomidine. Obviously you have to be in the unit to give that drug. So I'm guessing it will really determine on the um, severity of the autonomic instability as to how you're going to treat folks. They used phenobarbital to help 
with the autonomic instability, which makes a lot of sense. It's a help, such a helpful medication in that regard. And then they targeted the alpha-2 adrenergic um, effects. So guessing my approach will be if I have someone who's having um, xylazine withdrawal would be to use in the outpatient setting clonidine and um, other targeted symptomatic relief medications. And if I have to admit them to the hospital or consult, in my hospital, I'll recommend using phenobarbital with transfer to the ICU for dexmedetomidine if they really are having autonomic instability. We will not, we are not recommending dexmedetomidine outpatient. No, Michael Jackson. <laughs> well, he was using propofol. Yes. <laughs> Still. Not as fun. I know. I and know. dexmedetomidine, I don't think, is as fun yes. as propofol, but... I know. <laughs> Still, I just want to make that. I'm putting that out there. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I think that covers it. What have we missed? That, Paula? One other thing I wanted to yeah. just say at the very end is, you know, with everything, with everything, just keep your harm reduction hat on. So, if your yeah. folks are using anyone who that you interact with that is using drugs you know remember to keep you know they have the autonomy and right to use drugs if they want to you meet them where they are if they want to stop you you're there to help them in the meantime it is our job and responsibility to keep them as harm free as possible so advise people to test drugs do a test dose to make sure that their supply is not contaminated and has what they think it has in it to not use alone to use test strips for fentanyl if they're using something other than fentanyl, and then to start low and go slow. Just use that as your slogan for people who are still using. And then educate your users. Now also educate yourself and let your users educate you. And then also we need to educate our providers and our nurses and our and our colleagues about xylazine. Also make sure that our outreach staff and our peers know what's going on on the street, especially those of us um, and those of our colleagues who work in um, syringe exchange programs or street programs. Actually, you know, they know more about this than we do because they're seeing it firsthand and boots on the ground. So you can always reach out to them and ask what they're seeing because they can give you um, firsthand account. But I would say keep harm reduction in the forefront so that we can help keep people safe, especially when it comes to the overdose risk and the skin. Um, risks, make sure people understand to use clean injection supplies to keep, you know, their wounds taken care of if they do develop a wound, especially if they're using, can you imagine the combined effect too, Darlene, of injecting a combination mm -hmm. of xylazine and a stimulant? Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, well, you think about all the things we see with injected methamphetamine. So I'm just imagining what this is. Well, I mean, that's why I was just thinking in our in our wrap up, like, because not to forget, like, so summary, like this is, it's a veterinary tranquilizer. It's a non-opiate. It's an anesthetic and a sed sedative. It's linked to illicit fentanyl, but don't forget, this has also been linked to cocaine, heroin use. And I, like Paula just said, I would not be surprised if you see this popping up in methamphetamine, right? Because it, you, oh, yeah. see, you see these popping up everywhere. Absolutely. And as a final, yeah. yes, absolutely. As a final 
note, the FDA did uh, write a letter on November 8th of 2022, and the letter is uh, titled FDA warns about the risk of xylosine exposure in humans. It's available on the public domain. JAMA actually wrote an article about this letter. You have to have a subscription to JAMA to read that letter, but um, look up this letter. It's very interesting. They talk about all the things we just talked about. They talk about the increasing um, use, what it is, what are the harms associated with it in humans, namely dependence, withdrawal, overdose, um, and severe necrotic skin ulcerations that look different distinctly from other soft tissue infections. And the fact that they can develop in areas of the body away from the site of injection. Um, and then they specifically warn about the resistance to reversal by naloxone, that we're not detecting it on routine toxicology screens, that repeated exposure may cause these severe necrotic skin ulcerations, mm -hmm. and that repeated exposure to xylazine um, may cause dependence and withdrawal that is severe, right? You end up having to be in the unit and being uh, managed with medications like dexmedetomidine. Um, the conclusion of this letter is what healthcare professionals can do. So this is where I really want you to listen. They say that healthcare, and I'm quoting, healthcare professionals should consider potential xylazine exposure when patients presenting with an overdose do not respond. They should also provide supportive measures and consider screening for xylazine with appropriate tests. If we see severe necrotic skin ulcerations, consider repeated xylazine exposure as part of the differential. Also, if you care for patients with OUD, monitor patients for withdrawal and um, continue to monitor for adverse events for xylazine exposure. So basically, Everything we've said. Yeah. <laughs> also, they actually want you to report to the FDA MedWatch adverse event reporting program if you see a sharp uptick in xylosine in your in your neighborhood. They're particularly interested in obtaining information that healthcare professionals feel is relevant to understanding what's going on with xylosine, including um, your geographic area, additional substances that are being involved with xylosine involved overdoses, and then any else, any other things that you have noted about the skin ulcerations or withdrawal syndrome, because, because it is relatively new and it is causing so much trouble. So thank you for yeah. your attention. And as always, listen to us. Um, Excuse me, not listen to us, but follow us on Twitter at the Addiction Phi One. Well, hope then, you're hopefully you're listening too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you are listening if you're still listening now. That's right. <laughs> um, but definitely follow us on Twitter. We always tweet out a couple times a week um, or more, and then follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And we have an email and a website, and you can send us requests or questions. And in the very near future, we will be doing some either Instagram or Facebook live events. So look for that coming soon. All right. Thank you, Paula. Have a good night. Thanks, Arlene. Until next time. Hey, check us out at theaddictionfiles.com or email us at theaddictionfiles at gmail.com. Thank you so much to Ricky Valides for use of his song, Awake. Check him out at rickyvalides.com.
podcasts are for entertainment and education purposes only. Hosts and guests are not responsible for any harm caused by information obtained from this source. As each person is unique, you're advised to seek the advice of your own healthcare professional to treat any medical conditions you may be having. Opinions expressed on the show are those of the addiction files and not of our respective employers.